the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson. Here you will hear teaching that will challenge you to a deeper walk with Jesus. Whatever place you are in your understanding of God's plan for your life, you will grow closer by listening. No shame, no guilt, and no condemnation. But you will be challenged to a closer walk with God. Now here's Pastor Israel with today's teaching. And amen. Praise God. The message this morning is part and parcel of of our uh, long-term series uh, entitled, Come to the Water. Waiting, always trusting, expecting the refinement of the Holy Spirit's work in our hearts. The message this morning is Spirit Refined Testimony of Our Faith. And our text is taken from Acts chapter 4. Verses uh, 8 to 20. Let me just set up uh, the whole passage. It's kind of lengthy and, and put it in its proper context. Peter and John just performed an outstanding miracle. This is when Peter uttered the most famous uh, verse in the Bible uh, when he spoke to the beggar who was paralyzed. And he said these words, silver and gold, I have none. But what I have, I will give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that got the attention of the people. When they proclaimed the gospel accompanied by an outstanding miracle, people began to listen. And the priests and the temple captains and the Sadducees who famously did not believe in the resurrection heard and saw what was going on, they were greatly disturbed uh, because uh, these disciples uh, were getting the attention of the people and they're coming by the thousands to hear their message. So the next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem in order to figure out how to stop the spread of the gospel. And they confronted Peter and John. And they asked them, by what power or whose name are you doing all of these things? And we pick it up in verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
They were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could not, but since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? They asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign and we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Well, that's a tremendous story, isn't it? I mean, it just it excites me every time I read something like that. Something's going on in Jerusalem that they couldn't explain. And it got the people's attention. And I tell you, when God moves... People will pay attention. One of, one of my most favorite shows uh, on television is this crime drama. You're familiar with it. It's Law and Order. Okay, it ran for 25 years on television. You have got to see at least one of the episodes, right? Okay, but it's a simple format. That's why I like to see it. It doesn't, you know, doesn't make me think a whole lot than just watch the show, you know. I mean, I don't have to do a lot of thinking. The first 30 minutes of the show involves the, the police investigating a crime, and the second half, the, the last 30 minutes is about the prosecutors uh, trying uh, to uh, try the cases involving uh, the criminals. Uh, what gets me is, in the show, uh, they show how the police will take a suspect into the interrogation room and begin questioning him using the age-old technique of good cop, bad cop. One police officer will come in and, and he will play the role of the, the good cop. He would, he would offer him, you know, a drink. He would talk to him uh, gently. He would, he would speak to him uh, in tones that will entice him to confess. While the other police officer will come in and barge in and he will do the exact opposite. He will put a lot of pressure on the suspect. He will scare the suspect, putting a lot of pressure, even threatening violence. To do what? In order to elicit a confession. That's the main goal of why they interrogate uh, the suspects. To get a confession of guilt or innocence. That's exactly what happens at worship. <laughs> Forgive me for using the analogy, okay? But that's exactly what we're doing here Sunday in and Sunday out. When we engage in worship, it's actually an interrogation of the soul. We are being prompted by the Spirit of God to elicit from us a confession in order to be able to bring out in us the validity of our faith in Jesus. I call worship services spiritual 
interrogations. And I, again, forgive me for using that term, but that's exactly what's going on here. The Holy Spirit is in charge of worship. And let me tell you something, those of you who are watching, He's probing your heart at this moment. He's probing my heart. He's validating my faith, my testimony. He's refining my faith. He's refining your faith and your testimony. I think it was Josh McDowell who coined the, the famous question, if someone accuses you of being a Christian, will you be found guilty? Now that's a question worth asking. I know it's been around, but I think we should go back and ask that question of ourselves. The soul gets interrogated by the Spirit of God through the Word of God in order for us to be found guilty as charged that we are Christians. That's what preaching is supposed to accomplish. There has to be a good cop, bad cop preaching, so to speak. Okay? We don't hear the Word of God simply to be comforted. We must also hear the Word of God to be convicted. We need both. Both are necessary in order to interrogate the soul, in order to validate and refine our testimony of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Well, there it is. The sword has two edges. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, has two edges. One side comforts and the other side convicts, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's very important. The Bible also says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit wields the sword, which is the Word of God. And it's for the purpose of exposing what's going on in the inside of every person in order to validate that confession of faith. So loved ones, don't just come uh, to hear the Word, to be comforted or encouraged. God knows we do that in our church all the time. But we also have to know that we're here to receive conviction, to receive a kind of exposure to what we really is going on in the inside of us. God is not just interested in making us happy. He's infinitely interested also in making us holy. Okay? So that's what it means to receive the word with gladness. You know, there's a parable, the parable of the, the, the soils in Matthew chapter 13, where when Jesus talks about the only kind of soil that is acceptable uh, to God, the soil speaks of the heart in which the seed, which is the gospel, is planted into a person. And the Bible says the one seed that counts, the one heart, the one soil that counts is the one who received the word of God and received it with gladness. What does it mean to receive the word of God with gladness? You are both comforted by it and convicted by it. That's how the Spirit of God validates and refines our testimony of faith that we belong to our Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in action in this story, believe it or not. 
Uh, this took place in the early days of the church. Jesus has been raised from the dead and he ascended to heaven. And the Holy Spirit descended on the day of Pentecost and has filled the disciples with power from on high. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to direct the followers of Jesus to his word in order to refine and validate the testimony of their faith in the Lord. The number one sign that the Holy Spirit is at work in our life is seen in the quality and the validity of our testimony of faith. Your testimony and mine proves we are filled with the Spirit of God. So the question is, uh, what does a Spirit-refined life testimony, what does it look like? Well, let me propose to you three, three things that build on each other, okay? The, this refining work of the Holy Spirit, first of all, begins with a clarifying of our belief. Okay, that's the first point in the sermon. You want to know that your heart is being refined, your testimony is being refined by the Holy Spirit? The first sign that you and I are being validated by the Spirit in our faith, being refined in our testimony, is that there's a clarifying of our belief. Not only do we profess to be followers of Jesus, it is clear in our hearts and minds why we are following Jesus. Okay? As we look at this passage again, we see the religious leaders and, and the temple guards and, and the Sadducees were there and they were alarmed at what's going on because people are acclimating to the message of the gospel. They are winning. The disciples were winning souls by the thousands. The gospel has a profound effect on the people, and people are coming to the knowledge of this gospel. And they had to question, where is this power coming from? Because they knew they already crucified Jesus. They thought they got rid of him. And all of a sudden, even more people are coming to faith in this dead man that they assume will no longer have any kind of control or hold on anybody. And so... They had to question the followers of Jesus, Peter and John, Peter primarily. The Bible says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and people of Israel, this Jesus Christ whom you crucified, the, the, the stone that you builders rejected, meaning they, they rejected his claim as, as, as God's Messiah, became the cornerstone. Okay, and he's the reason why this person we just healed is doing well. And he said these words, There is no name for which salvation is possible, but only through the name of Jesus. That's the declaration of the gospel right there in the midst of severe unbelief. This is an amazing turn of events considering Peter and all of the other disciples, where were they when, when Jesus was being crucified? Where were they while Jesus sat on that grave or, or laid down that grave? They were hiding. They were cowering in fear. They were, they were scared of being exposed as followers of Jesus. The, in fact, Peter denied Jesus three times. We all know that. What happened to them? What happened? What changed? Well, of course, we found out in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 11, the story of the day of Pentecost. Jesus says, wait for me in the upper room, and the Spirit is going to come. And when the Spirit comes, He will endow you with power from on high. 
You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And sure enough, it happened. They were gathered in the room and there were this, this fire, this little fire that descended on them, okay? And they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them, okay? They started speaking in tongues. And don't worry, this is not a message on speaking in tongues. That's for another sermon at another time. But I want to bring out a point. When they were praying, gathered in one place, the Spirit came with a sound, with a mighty sound, like a blowing wind. They came, He came, and He endowed them with power. And they were proclaiming the word of Jesus. And there were people out there. There were people from all over the place who saw these things happen, and they were bewildered. They were saying to themselves, these are Galileans. Why in the world are they speaking our language? They couldn't figure it out. And look at what the Bible says in verse 8 of Acts chapter 2. Now then, is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? There were Parthians there, Medes, Elamites, Mesopotamians, Judeans, Cappadocians, from people from Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. There were people there, Jews and Gentiles from Crete, and Arabs, and they're all hearing the word of Christ proclaimed in their language. What's the point of all of this? Did you catch that? Here's the point. When the Spirit of God filled the disciples, they spoke in tongues. And that's the important part of this thing, okay? When they spoke in tongues, they were speaking the words of Christ because they were understood by those people from the foreign places. For the first time in the history of these disciples following Jesus, they now have a clarity on who they believe Jesus is. The Holy Spirit used words, the words of Christ, to validate the testimony of the disciples. They proclaimed the word of Christ with clarity, whereas just before, they were cowering in fear. They didn't know if Jesus was truly the Messiah. The Holy Spirit came, and for the first time, they were speaking it, and people are hearing it. The point is that the first sign that the believer is Spirit-filled, the first sign that we are being refined and being validated by the Spirit, the first sign is that there is a clear understanding of what we believe. There's a clarity in our hearts of the message of the gospel. The first thing the Holy Spirit does is He gives us the assurance that Jesus is the Savior. And there's no name in heaven, on earth, or under the earth, to the left, to the right, above, below. There's no other name for which anyone can be saved, but only in the name of Jesus. That's the first sign that you and I are being refined by the Spirit. There's no doubt in our minds anymore about that. Bible says, Peter, filled with the Spirit, declared, there's no other name by which people can be saved. And you know what, the, you know what gets me all the time? The people, the enemies of the gospel in this story, they just saw an outstanding miracle. They just saw a person who was begging, who had been paralyzed all his life, and a word from the disciples, they saw a miracle, and they couldn't do anything about it because the, the message was validated by a miracle, but it didn't do any good. They still didn't believe. They wanted to stop the spread of the gospel. So I want to let you know, it takes real faith, people, 
to believe the claims of Jesus. And then don't kill yourself. There will be people, okay? There will be people where they can see a dead person rise and shake their hands and eat their food and they will not believe in God. Classic example here. That's why Jesus, when he rose from the dead, he showed himself only to those who believed in his name. That's why he didn't show himself to Pilate or to Herod or all the other innocent bystanders who didn't believe in him. He showed himself to those who believe. Why? Because it doesn't matter whether you see a miracle. It doesn't matter whether the apostle Paul himself comes to this church and proclaim the gospel. If a person is not going to recognize who Jesus is, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. So we know that our faith is being validated when the question about who the Savior is is gone. For the first time, there's no more doubt in the minds of Peter and the other disciples that Jesus is who he said he is. Do you have doubts about your faith in Jesus? If you do, then you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen? Doesn't mean you have doubts. Doesn't mean you're not saved. You are saved when you put your faith in Jesus. But loved ones, let me tell you something. You know, you can put your faith in Jesus and still have doubts about who he is. But don't, don't worry. God understands. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. Amen? The Holy Spirit validates and refines our faith in Christ. And that's the first thing that we experience. That's why here, here at Living Rock, when you become a Christian, the first thing, what do we, what's the first thing we do? First thing we do is we introduce you to the Scriptures. We want you to read the Gospel. We want you to read the Bible. Because that, that's what we believe, where we believe God is going to speak to people directly. Now, we believe in praying, okay? Prayer is important. But prayer is only as effective as we acknowledge the Word of Christ. If praying is communicating with God, then praying must include the study of the Scripture. So there you have it. The first sign that you and I are filled or being refined by the Spirit is there's clarity in our belief. We don't rely on the situation we're in. We don't rely on circumstances to determine our faith in Jesus. It's the Word of Christ that matters to us. Look at what Paul says to Timothy in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Paul says, For this reason I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and have persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. There's a clarity of belief. Now, when there's a clarity of belief, the second thing happens. And you know what that is? There comes the courage to be bold. The courage to be bold. When you know what you believe, when it's clear to you what you believe, you're now going to have the courage to be bold in every area of your life and mine. Look at verses 13 to 17. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Let me stop there. If we had been with Jesus, we don't need anything else in terms of what, what, what equipping we need to do. I'm not knocking down people who, who, uh, who study. Okay, I'm not anti-education. But I've been asked many times, Pastor, do you, do you need a seminary 
degree uh, to be able to uh, proclaim the gospel? <laughs> the answer is flat out no. I mean, we're just reading about it, okay? These were unschooled, untrained men. I'm not knocking down, uh, the, you know, the, the seminary stuff, okay? I'm not knocking that down. Please, you know, but, but as, as, as it's been said, okay, you can have degrees more than Dr. Fahrenheit, but without a relationship with Jesus, all right, you can have more degrees than a thermostat. It means nothing. The Pharisees and the Sadducees and the leaders of the people saw that they had been with Jesus. And that's why they had the boldness. You know what they did? They commanded them, don't talk about Jesus no more. Stop it. Why? 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 Why were they stopping them? Okay? Was it because of the miracle? They are afraid of the, the people? Because the people? No, it has nothing to do with the miracle. They didn't care about the miracles. Jesus performed a lot of miracles. But these this honchos over here, they never cared about the miracle. You know what they were afraid of? They were afraid of the boldness. They were not afraid to declare that Jesus rose from the dead and he's still working. That's what they were afraid of. They were not impressed with the miracles. Never. They were afraid because these disciples were bold. They had the courage to stand up and say to the religious leaders, we don't have to look to you for hope. You've been listening to Living on the Rock Radio with Pastor Israel Labson, a ministry of Living Rock Christian Church in Sunnyvale, California. If you have been helped by this radio program and would like to keep it on the air, your continued prayerful and financial support is greatly appreciated. Please visit livingontherockradio.com where all your tax-deductible gifts will go directly to the radio ministry. That's livingontherockradio.com. Living Rock is a church that doesn't care how you are dressed or what candidate you voted for. A church made up of imperfect people from all walks of life with a hunger and thirst to understand God's plan for our lives. No matter what you've been through or what questions you may have about God and faith, you will find love, grace, and hope at Living Rock Christian Church, 675 East Taylor Avenue in Sunnyvale, with Sunday worship starting at 1030 a.m. More information at livingontherockradio.com.